Good morning, everybody. Hey, my name is Ben Pierce, and I'm one of the pastors here. I uh, lead the small group ministry here at the church. So if you want to get in a group, I'm the guy you want to talk to. Uh, ben P at WeRPCC.com. And uh, how many of you have enjoyed this series, This Is Us? It's been really cool. We're going through different characters in the Bible, and we're taking one a week, and we're looking at sometimes where they had a great stretch for God, and we get inspired by them. And then we'll look at somebody else who was having a bad day for God, and we'll say, man, if God can use that knucklehead, there's hope for me, because he's been using people like us the whole time. And uh, today, we're going to be looking at Elisha. Now, last week, we looked at Elijah, and um, we saw how God put him back together when he was completely burned out, just completely kind of destroyed by life. God put Elijah back together, and then he gave him a new go. And part of his go was, Elijah, I want you to appoint an assistant, a young man named Elisha. And after you're done being prophet, he's going to take over. He's going to succeed you. So that's kind of how last week bridges to this week. And I'm going to read you a story out of Elisha's life, and then we're going to pull back from the actual reading and look at how could that apply to you and to me today. So here's the story from 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 1 and following. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord, but now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Elisha replied to her, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a small jar of olive oil. Elisha said, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. She left him, and she shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he said, there's not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God, and he said, go and sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what's left. Lord, we thank you for your word and that it speaks to every culture, to every time in history, to men, women from every background, and we ask you to make it speak to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So you kind of got to have some background to get all that's going on here. This was a wild and woolly time in Israel's history because as as Gary shared last week when he was talking about Elijah, Elijah did his ministry at the end of a string of 18 evil kings in a row. And Elisha's ministry spanned four more kings and they were all evil as well. So you got to know there was no Bible for people to read at that time. So, and, and even if there had been, they didn't know how to read. So the way God spoke his heart into his people was through prophets, through people that he would gift to be able to hear from him and speak forth his heart to his people. And there was usually a point person like Elisha or Elijah, and then there was a company of prophets who were underneath them so that they could all kind of spread out across the land and they could help people stay on track with God. And that was the way God spoke his heart into the people. 
Our story starts when the wife of one of those men who was part of the company of prophets comes to Elijah and says, my husband's dead. You know he loved you. You know he loved God. He's been working with you forever. But now he's gone. I've got two small boys. I've got a mountain of debt and an angry creditor who's going to come and take my boys as slaves against that debt. So you need to know, in that day, there was no safety net. There's no Social Security. There's no life insurance. There's no 401K. When a woman was left with this kind of problem in a time when there was not many economic options for women, she had every right to be afraid. And so she comes to Elisha, pours this out, and Elisha says, okay, what have you got at your house? She goes, I got nothing. Well, there is this one little jar of oil. He said, okay, I want you to get out every empty jar you've got, put it in the house. I want you to go to all your neighbors and borrow every jar they'll give you, pull it, put them in your house. Then I want you and your sons to close the doors. So if any, if any oil happens, it ain't coming from outside. God is making something out of nothing. And so she takes her little jar of oil and she starts pouring in the first jug. And she goes, huh, that's funny. This jar I'm pouring into is bigger than the one I'm pouring out of, and it's full. Jimmy, bring me the next one. So Jimmy brings the next one, and she keeps pouring, and next, and she keeps pouring, and then she finally gets to the very last jar, and right as that one tops off, the, water, the oil stops flowing. And she goes back to Elisha, and Elijah says, so take, the, take some of the oil that you just received, sell it against the debt, and take the rest, and you can use it to live off of. You know, I, I used to live in Africa, and if you go to a market stall right now in Africa, right now, maybe 20% of the stalls, they'll be selling oil. And what we found, well, in this, in this day, they even had more things to use it for back in Elijah's day because it's what you cooked on, on, you put in the pan to cook on, it's what you mixed with your flour to make your bread, and it's what you put in your lamps to make light. So this was Safeways and PG&E all rolled into one. And so when Elijah gave her that, he gave her a way forward. E even in my day in Africa, what we found is one of the most successful micro enterprises you could do to help a family was to buy a $50 or $100 drum of oil, give it to a lady, and if she managed it well, that was her future. You could build that up. And so Elisha didn't just save her for a moment. She gave her a whole future pathway. You know, we think of today, I don't know about you, but when I started learning about um, human trafficking, I was like, oh my gosh, you're telling me that's still... You know, I guess to me it was hidden. I thought it had gone away hundreds and hundreds of years ago. But many of us have been involved in that, in, in trying to alleviate that. But back in this day, slavery wasn't a hidden thing. It was part of the economy. It was baked in. And so that creditor could have taken her kids. So Elijah did, saved her from so many things by God's love. And what I want to do now is pull that apart a little bit and start applying it to you and me now. The first thing I want to say is this, oil, oil is that rare commodity in your life that without God's help, it will not be enough. The woman was out of options. She couldn't do anything to save herself, and what she needed was literal oil, olive oil. But for another person, it might be rent money or money for groceries, or it might be that God would intervene with a child who's on a bad path and you can't get inside their body and get them on a different path. Or it's a struggle with a health issue. Or maybe you say, I need a place to live and the prices are crazy here. Or maybe it's you've lost someone or you've lost a relationship and that jar is just sitting there empty and you don't know how you're going to go on. 
Or I'm tired of being single, but I can't wave my magic wand and just make the right person be in there. Or my marriage is so hard, I don't know how I'm going to keep going and keep trying. Or work is so hard, I do my absolute best at work, and I still wake up at 2 in the morning, and I'm tossing and I'm turning. Oil is that rare commodity in your life that without help of God, it's not enough. Second point is related to that, and that's this. Everybody has an oil shortage somewhere. We all have an oil shortage if you look hard enough. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's love. Maybe it's health. Maybe it's strength. Maybe it's inner demons of anxiety, worry, depression, addiction. But whatever it is, we all have an oil shortage somewhere if you scratch beneath the surface. I had a friend when I used to live in Menlo Park, and he was a VC, a venture capitalist, and he had been very successful. He had made boatloads of money. And he told me as he was telling me about his life, he said, I got to the top of the ladder and realized it was leaning up against the wrong building because I had a lot of money in the bank. I had zero meaning, zero purpose, nothing. And I said, God Almighty, please show me that there's something more to life than this. And he started a spiritual journey that led him to Jesus because his, his spiritual meaning bucket was absolutely empty. And it got filled just as surely for him as the widows got filled with oil. I have another friend, and she's a woman, one of the wisest, most godly women I know. And her spiritual bucket is brimming over. I learn stuff from her so often. But her financial bucket has always been thin as long as I've known her and as long as I've heard about stories in her life. And she can tell you the most amazing stories of, wow, there's this one month we needed $532.37 or we weren't going to make it this month. And then a check shows up from somebody they don't even know for $537.32. Or she say, you know, I got nothing in the refrigerator. And I'm like, jokingly say, well, Lord, I, you know, some steak would be nice. And then somebody comes to her house and says, you know, I was at Safeway today and they had a two for one on steaks. And I felt like the Lord just touched my heart to bring this by. Here you go. Now, I don't think if you asked her, are you enjoying having that bucket be thin and having to rely on God. I don't think she'd say she would, but I don't think you could explain, and I also don't think you can explain how she got to be so wise and so godly apart from seeing God meet her in this place of emptiness again and again and again. In my home church in Mississippi, there was a couple, and if you had asked me to point to who in the church had the best marriage, I would have pointed to them, no question. And they one day took me in a few others, and they said, I want to tell you the back story on our marriage. They said, our marriage got to a place where it had died from the heart. There weren't even two warm coals that you could scoot together and blow on to try and rekindle this thing. It's dead, gone. And in desperation, the husband came to meet Jesus. He became a follower of Christ. And he's like, you know, I'm not even going to tell my wife that I'm going to do it differently because she's heard me say that so many times and never follow through. I'm not even going to say a word. I'm just going to figure out what would it look like, what are the verbs of what it would look like to love her the way Jesus loved his church and gave his life for her. And very quietly, he just started doing those things. And the woman said, I had no idea what was going on. All I can say is that my heart began to come back to life in that marriage. Because she said, for that kind of love, a woman would lie down on a railroad track and die. And the family came to Christ, and the oil began to flow in that marriage. Three completely different situations, but they all had an oil shortage. 
Yours is not the same as the person sitting next to you, but I would suggest we all have one. Third point is this. Peace in life is rooted in confidence that somehow, some way, God's going to provide oil. I don't know how, but somehow, some way, God is going to provide oil. Human nature is, we say, I will have peace in life when every single jar I have or can even think of is full. If I can anticipate everything that could possibly go wrong and fill that jar too, then I'll have peace. I don't think it's a recipe for peace. I have a friend who came from India, and he says, there's three ways to get ulcers, worry, hurry, and curry. <laughs> that strategy lacks everything except curry because it's got worry, it's got hurry, and there is no peace to think I can manually fill all my own jars and know every jar around every corner that I can't even see around. So peace comes from learning to trust God with that. God taught his people that in a very unique way. When he was leading them across the desert out of Egypt to the promised land, he set up a very peculiar and particular way of life. See, th these people who were being led across the desert, ethnically they were Jewish, they were kind of related to each other, but they were just slaves, newly freed. They weren't a people yet. They didn't sense that I belong to you and you belong to me. They're just a rabble. But by the time God got them to the promised land, he was going to turn, turn them from a rabble to a people. And here's what he did. He said, I know you don't have any food out here. So every day, I want you to come out in the morning with a jar. And I'm going to have caused manna to fall from the sky. And I want you to gather enough to feed your family. Now, I don't know what manna was. They don't know what manna was. The Hebrew word for what is it? manna. They had no idea. But God said, I'm, I'm going to fill your jar. And he said, I don't want you to keep any leftover for tomorrow because if you try and store it overnight, it's going to rot and get bugs. Only exception being the day before the Sabbath because on the Sabbath, I want you resting and not gathering. So I'll give you two days supply the day before the Sabbath and it won't rot and it won't get bugs in it. And people tested it and, you know, you know, you have to know they wanted to go to Costco, get a giant igloo cooler and just fill it with, you know, three months supply and say, well, now we've got some runway. Even if God forgets to be faithful, we'll be three months before we'll even know. But God, that's not the way he turned a rabble into a people. He said, you bring your empty jar to me every day and I'll fill it. And when they got there, they weren't a rabble. They were sons and daughters, and that's still how he does it today. That's still what he does. It's human nature. We want all of our jars full, and then we can relax, then we can have peace, but it doesn't seem to be the way it works. In 2004, we planted a church, and we started it, and on the first week, we had 100 people, and somebody came up and dropped a check for $50,000 in the offering plate, and we're like, woohoo, yay, Jesus. Week two, we have 50 people there. And nobody had told me that your second week, you always have half, that that's normal. So I'm ready to jump off a bridge. And so my strategy that next week, I just, my initial thing in my flesh was I'm just going to hunker down. I'm going to stop even doing the stuff that will build the church and we'll just see how long we can stretch this little thing. And a friend of mine who was a mentor, he said, Ben, that's wrong because you're assuming that the God who was faithful to you last week 
is going to stop being faithful. And so you're trying to cling to what used to be because that's all the faithfulness he's got and he's going to forget how to do it in the future. And he said, you've got to lean into it and you've got to believe that he's going to keep providing for you. And so my hands kind of loosened up and my heart loosened up. And I, can ne- I honestly can't say it ever got really comfortable. And I don't know that it did for the children of Israel that every day <laughs> there wasn't a little pit in their stomach saying, I wonder if they'll still be manna today. But that's how he turned a rabble into a people. And he still does. You know, we think if, if we were really a together Christian, all of our buckets would be full. I don't think so. I think this is more the normal, blessed Christian life is to have some needs that are beyond us that we bring to him again and again and again. Next point is this. Intimacy with God is often forged around our empty jars. That's often where the intimacy happens. When I lost my dad unexpectedly in in 2000, this, this jar that had always been full of an amazing father was now just empty. There's nothing in it. And I couldn't pray. I couldn't read the Bible for a couple of weeks, any of this stuff. And I went out and I took a walk and sat out in a field and I heard, I don't know whether it was audible, I don't know whether it was in my spirit, but I heard God say, I will be your father now. And that's 17 years ago, and I can tell you he's kept that promise. There still wasn't a flesh and bones father to put in that jar, but I came to know God in a way I had not known him before through bringing an empty jar to him. And I think if you were to go to my VC friend or to that woman who was always stretched for money but has such faith, or to that couple, and you said, were to say, tell me your God story, I'll bet you they would not be able to tell it to you without threading it through how God has met them in their empty jars. Wouldn't it be great if all of our intimacy came from having every jar full all the time? I just haven't seen that to be the case very much. A friend of mine named Jim used to say, I'll tell you the difference between dogs and cats. He said, dogs say in their mind, they keep bringing me food, they must be gods. Cat says, they keep bringing me food, I must be a god. (laughs) And you kind of see that if you've got dogs and cats. Yeah, they act a little bit different. I think human beings, we're more like cats. If we're dumb, fat, and happy all the time... I don't see that drawing us to God. If we, don't, if we have an empty jar, though, and we see him faithfully fill it, then we come, and we know he's real, and, this, and nobody can tell us otherwise. And the last thing I want to say is this. Oil comes in two forms, visible and spiritual. Visible oil we can see, spiritual we have to discern. Some of you know that uh, in 2000, I had a bad bike accident, and I, I had a severe brain injury and broke my neck in a couple of places, and the long-term impact of that on me is migraines a lot. Like every day, I have pain, um, and a few days a month, it'll be in, uh, incapacitating pain. Not all the days at all, but it's, it's an ongoing thing. Visible oil would be a new treatment or a protocol that makes the pain go away, either in part or in whole. We've looked for that for seven years. Till now, we haven't found it. We're still looking. But you would be wrong if you assumed that I have not received oil. I've gotten spiritual oil in abundance. 
the ability to persevere, the ability to not have my spirit turn bitter, the ability to be a little like that, that little boy when Jesus wanted to feed all the, the masses who said, Jesus, I don't have that much, but here's my two fish and here's my bread. Can you take it and make it enough? And that, a friend, of me, a friend back in March was praying for me. He said, Ben, do you ever get just so frustrated you just want to chuck it all? and say, I'm done with God, I'm done with ministry, I'm done. I said, you know, there, there's some low moments, but I've, I found God correct me where, you know, you start out, why me? And I found myself saying, why not me? Because I know God. I know God Almighty. Some, the next guy doesn't do that, and he might be crushed by it. So spiritual oil is real oil. Visible oil is real oil. We just have to let God choose which is which, or which is best for us. You know, my oldest daughter, she had a string of help things, one right after the other, like two years' worth. It was really hard for her. You know, it became spiritually oppressive of, God, where are you? You know, why do I keep other kids are out doing kid, you know, teenager stuff, and I'm homesick. And... So if, during that time, and you know, as your parents, you'd, you'd rather be having that yourself 10 times over than seeing your kids suffer. And, but I went to a friend's house, and he had a vineyard. And in that, it really produces the grapes, and they make wine out of it. It's very fancy wine. And anyway, he said, Ben, you see on those, um, this is at the very end of the dry season, after five years of drought. He said, you see that irrigation system, every single vine, I can turn on water and I can give them as much water as I want. They said, if I can possibly get through this season without turning the water on, I'm going to do it. Because the wines that produce the real stunning vintages are the ones where the vines have been stressed and distressed. He said, if, if you want Ernest and Julio Gallo box wine, just open the floodgates and you have watermelon-sized grapes, but it's going to be in a box. If you want something exquisite, the vines have to be stressed. And he said in France, where they make the super uber uber high class, if a, if a wine grower sees a vine that's thriving too much, he'll take a pocket full of gravel and kind of stomp it down around the roots. And it gave us language and verbiage to say, I wonder what vintage God is making out of Corey's life. Because you can't, he's not making box wine out of this kid. And you know, I'm going to fast forward a little bit. She wants to be a doctor now. You know, she, if you look at her YouTube, she's got the, all surgeries all over. She's like, look, Dad, this is how you take somebody's heart out. And I'm like, golly, you're a very strange child. She's got like this plastic emulation of skin with all kinds of jagged wounds on it, and she's sitting there practicing sewing it. But, you know, that's, that's not box wine. And you, you don't know when you're in it, you never say, hey, Lord, give me more empty jars. All you can say is that God is very good at his job and that he does distinctive work even out of the empty places. So what I want you to do is just as we close, I want you to make your own little empty jar right here and put it out in front of you. And I'm going to give you a moment to just kind of name in the silence of your heart to God What's in your empty jar? Maybe you need a few jars. But I want you to name that thing, and then I want to pray with you over giving it over to him.
Lord, we thank you that that widow wasn't the first person with an empty jar and she's not the last. It's what you do. And we praise you that you still do that today. So we offer you these empty jars of our lives. Lord, we ask you to fill them with oil, visible and spiritual. Lord, we ask you to forge intimacy and a knowledge of you as we give you these things, as we come out of our tent day by day, bring in our empty jar and trust in you to fill it again. And Lord, we pray that you would be making something out of the empty jars that could never have happened for us had all of our jars always been full and we had never known need that we could bring to you. But express your love to your people today in a way that they will know that they know that they know is from you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the Peninsula Covenant Church podcast. We're located at 3560 Farm Hill Boulevard in Redwood City, California. You can reach us online at www.peninsulacovenant.com. 